Luke chapter 19. Verses 28 through 40 is our text for this morning. Hear now the reading of God's word. After Jesus had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Pause another moment for prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would send that Holy Spirit who inspired these words written down long ago, that that same Holy Spirit would be at work among us on this very day as we consider now your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is encouraging, exciting that in a secular world that desperately tries to write God out of everything, calendars the worldwide today say Palm Sunday. In fact, on my modern iPhone device, a instrument of modernity, if there ever was one, pull up the calendar and it says Palm Sunday all day. Yes, it is. Palm Sunday all day. And I think that as Christians, especially in an increasingly secular environment and culture and country, when we come to something like that, a reality that your iPhone is saying, look at what day it is. It's still called Palm Sunday. You should think about the gospel today. You should think about what that means. I think that as Christians, we should sort of see this as low-hanging fruit of sorts and realize that maybe, just maybe, neighbors, coworkers, unbelieving relatives say, hey, I know you're a Christian. What does Palm Sunday mean? I understand it has something to do with the Christian faith, but I'm not quite sure. What does it have to do with? What's it all about? Why is it something to think about? Do you celebrate it? 
I think we should have the answer for them. It's low-hanging fruit for us. It's written right in the calendar. I'm not saying that every time our calendar says Palm Sunday, the sermon needs to be on a text based on Palm Sunday. But the event of Palm Sunday is in God's word. It testifies to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if unbelievers ask us why it's in the calendar, we should be able to say, well, it has to do with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you of its significance. And there are three ways we can look at its significance from the text that we read in Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. It is the fulfillment of God in Christ. The fulfillment of God in Christ. It is the humility of God in Christ. And it is the mission of God in Christ. These different aspects or dimensions to what we call Palm Sunday should feature into our understanding of the good news to us and should equip us as we go and speak and say, yes, I, I do celebrate the fact that on a particular Sunday, my Lord and Savior rode into Jerusalem on a colt on a donkey. The fulfillment of God in Christ. And in the gospel account, we are told that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And we'll get to how it is a uh, specific fulfillment of a specific prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, which is quoted in the gospel account. But I actually want to go back before even the prophetic testimony that is fulfilled in Zechariah. Because I, I think there's something glorious and beautiful about Palm Sunday, about Jesus Christ going in on uh, a donkey, going to into Jerusalem the way we have just read, in how it um, fulfills King Solomon, or actually demonstrates to you that Jesus Christ is the greater King Solomon. And you think about the Old Testament, you think about... Solomon's place in it, you know, how could anybody ever be greater than Solomon? He was king over unified Israel. He, the, the temple was built under him, just enormous wealth and wisdom. How could anybody be greater than Solomon? And I believe that in that account that we've just read in Luke, it is teaching us Jesus is the greater Solomon. And here, here's why I'm saying that. It's fascinating to think about Solomon's place in redemptive history. In 1 Chronicles 20, chapter 22, we're reading about how David wanted to build the house of the Lord. David wanted to be the one to build the temple of the Lord. But we read in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 8 through 9, But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is the word of the Lord coming to David. And he says, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you and you, he, 
Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every, every side. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. I want you to really think about that and to start seeing Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem on the donkey on what we call Palm Sunday as a fulfillment or being the greater Solomon. Because think about what God is saying to David here. He's saying, David, I don't, I don't want you to be the one to build my temple, to build my house, because you have had a career of warfare. You're the giant slayer, the Philistine slayer, the one who has shored up the borders of the Jerusalem, but your life has been one of bloodshed. What I want is your son to be the one to build my house. And what does that make Solomon? But a prince of peace. And maybe you haven't realized this, but the word Solomon, the name Solomon in Hebrew is derived from shalom, prince, shalom, prince of peace. What is Solomon? But the one who builds the house of the Lord, who is the prince of peace in the Old Testament, prince, shalom, son of David. Now with that, I want to read to you about how Solomon actually becomes king. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, we read, The king, that is David, said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have my son, son of David, Solomon, prince of peace, prince Shalom, have him ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And then in verse 38 of 1 Kings 1, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There you see in the Old Testament a triumphal entry before the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. You see King Solomon, Prince Shalom, son of David, a prince of peace by God's own coordination, becoming king by riding into Jerusalem on a mule, a donkey. And of course, it's tragic because you being somebody conversant with your Bible, knowing the Old Testament, realize that Solomon got off on the right foot. A prince of peace, reigning over a unified Israel with tremendous wealth and peace on all sides, rest at all sides. Prince Shalom, son of David, who did in fact build the temple to the Lord. But his heart was turned, wasn't it? Didn't end as well as he started. Took on 700 wives and 300 concubines was shaded by idolatry 
and under his son, the kingdom would be divided. But still you have in Solomon, son of David, prince of peace, prince alone, with rest on all sides, who tragically ends in failure. So I think it's, with that context, it's um, remarkable to come to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, during the time of the prophets, well after King Solomon, and have the prophet saying, well, Solomon's not all there was. There's coming another. There will be another son of David. There will be another prince of peace. And Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. And think about what that prophetic word delivered to Israel hundreds of years after Solomon, but hundreds of years before Jesus Christ would mean to Israel. Saying, no, not everything is going to be disintegrated forever. The failure of all of those kings that you read about in the Old Testament, it's not what will happen in the final analysis. Another king is coming, even though Solomon was son of David, even though Solomon was Prince Shalom, even though he rode in on the peaceful, humble donkey showing that he is a prince of peace, not a prince of war, there's another one coming. Another king is coming. And that is who we read about in Luke chapter 19. The greater than Solomon. The one who comes and it's glorious to see this, that for this moment, for this uh, moment in the life of Jesus Christ, he, he's actually recognized for who he is. It's amazing how brief and how quick it is. Just, just think about this as we go from how uh, this is a fulfillment of God in Jesus Christ, a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, a fulfillment of Christ being the greater Solomon, but it's also a remarkable expression of the humility of God in Christ Jesus. The triumphal entry, but he's not riding into Jerusalem on a tank or on a war horse. In fact, it's Jerusalem, just Jerusalem, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he doesn't ride into the capital of Rome. That's where the idea of the triumphal entry comes from. The Caesars would go out and war and pillage and enslave and conquer and bring all of the mechanizations of war against the surrounding countries and, and gather up the wealth of the surrounding countries. And then they would bring that back to Rome and ride into Rome on a war horse, painted up as if they were gods. This is what Julius Caesar did and Pompey did. And that's what a triumphal entry was, riding into Rome on a war horse, made up as a god, being worshipped as a god, with a train of other countries' possessions and 
the inhabitants of other countries and slaves behind them. That's what a triumphal entry is. So the humility of this account stands out. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the greater Solomon, isn't going into Rome, but going into Jerusalem. And he's not on a war horse. He's on a humble donkey. Stands in stark contrast to the kings and the rulers of this world. And it cries out, here is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Here is the king on a donkey. Look at the sort of king he is. He is the prince of peace, not riding on a war horse, but riding on a humble donkey. Think of who he is. And for this brief moment, something absolutely glorious happens. The people start to throw their coats before him, and we read in the Gospel of John that they cut down palm branches and laid them in down before him in addition to those coats, providing a, a way for the king to walk on, showing their respect, showing their deference, worshiping him. And we read in verse 38 of chapter 19 in Luke, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Look what's happening. They are recognizing Jesus as the king of kings, and that's glorious, and it shows also his humility. What happened when Jesus was born in the Gospel of Luke? It's revealed to shepherds who are out tending their flocks by night. And what do the angels say? Glory to God in the highest. The angels know who Jesus is when he's born. And for this brief moment before the Passion Week, for this brief moment before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ that is to come later in this very week, people finally recognize what the angels recognized at his birth. He is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There's peace in heaven. He's the prince of peace. That's why he's on a donkey and not a war horse. Through him, there is peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But it testifies to the humility of Jesus Christ. Not only that he is riding a donkey, celebrating the fact that he is not a king of warfare and power, but instead the prince of peace. But also reminding us of something absolutely astonishing. The son of God became man and was born among human people. And his whole life long, he lived as the son of God and Early in his ministry, what does Jesus say to people who realize who he is as the Son of God? Don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. Tell no one. Here in his public ministry, for so much of his public ministry, he's saying, I need to be freed up. I can't have all of the attention of being recognized as the Son of God. The Son of God was living among us, working miracles that only the Son of God would work, saying, don't spread the news. That's how he spent so much of his public ministry. 
And here for a moment before his crucifixion, he is actually recognized on earth for what he actually is worshipped for in heaven, called the blessed king who comes in the name of the Lord, who brings peace in heaven and glory on earth as the fulfillment of prophecy, the prince of peace, the greater Solomon. fulfillment of God in Christ. The humility of God in Christ. Unlike every other God, unlike every other king and ruler, a humble God whose triumphal entry takes place by riding on a donkey according to prophecy. Now I want you to think about the mission of God in Christ. When he referred to a Roman triumphal entry, when somebody like Julius Caesar would come into great Rome with a train of conquest behind him and would accept the worship as if he was a god himself, waited for a Julius Caesar in Rome. Power. A throne. A crown, so to speak. What a thought that Jesus Christ, just for this brief moment that we call Palm Sunday, would actually be recognized as the God of God, the light of light, the very God of very gods, the salvation that he actually is, that he's only recognized here and now for this brief moment in that regard. And what awaits him in Jerusalem is not a crown, but a cross. Not a crown, and not a throne but his own execution and death. He is the Prince of Peace. Do you see that? Do you see that it stands in contrast to the the kings and the rulers of this world that are conspiring for glory and looking for their own triumphal entry and standing before people and accepting their worship. This one is completely unlike all of them on a donkey instead of a war horse coming in as the Prince of Peace, coming in to establish peace with God, going to a cross instead of a throne, going to his death instead of to a palace, standing in contrast to the kings and rulers of this world. And I I think it's appropriate for us to not just think, of the the kings and the rulers of antiquity that Jesus Christ stands against by by doing all of this. But even today, our, our own day, just absolutely obsessed with superheroes. Right? I mean, every time you see a commercial block, there is one for the new superhero movie that is coming out. There's universes 
of superheroes. And what are they selling you on? What are they drawing you into? A powerful superhuman being. One who is able to deliver ordinary people like me and you from fantastic and great enemies. Have you ever seen a single advertisement for a superhero movie that has anything to do with delivering you from death and sin? Delivering from you from the enemy that is in you? That has been the demise of every single human ever? Have you ever even seen anything that attempts to take on something so grand and wonderful? It's actually beyond the pale of the greatest imaginations of Hollywood and all of their machinations to bring you the latest and the greatest superhero. Instead, we see here Jesus Christ, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, not going to a crown and a throne, but going to the cross. Why? So that he can be greater than all the superheroes, so that he can be greater than all the kings of the earth, so that he can be greater than all the Caesars and the Kaisers and the Tsars, so that he can be greater than every president and prime minister, so that he can be greater than even Solomon in all of his glory. By triumphantly entering on a donkey into Jerusalem to go and hang on a cross so that you and I could look to him, the Prince of Peace, who brings peace with God and say, he's the reason I have forgiveness. He's the reason I have hope. He's the reason I don't think of the grave as the end of me, but instead my day of death will be my first day of new life in the very presence of God in a perfection which he has secured for me. He is the Prince of Peace, and he's not just the Prince of Peace. He's my Prince of Peace. And this worship that he is recognized with during this very brief moment in his life. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's not just something those people who recognized him as their salvation said back then. It's something I say today. He's not Prince Solomon, son of David. He is the son of David, the Prince of Peace. He is my salvation he is the one in whom and through whom I have peace with God in the highest. He is the reason for glory in the glorifying God in the highest. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? A king of kings, a lord of lords who comes and lives a life of humility that culminates him doing a triumphal entry on a humble donkey so that he who is king of kings and lord of lords might lay down his life on the cross for you, a sinner, thereby securing peace with God in the highest. I am so oddly comforted by verse 40 of our text Jesus answered these Pharisees, I tell you, 
If these become silent, the stones will cry out. I think to get the full weight of what Jesus Christ is saying there, you have to stop and, and realize here is Jesus Christ. He is um, at the last week before his death on the cross. He has conducted his public ministry and worked countless miracles and preached countless sermons and worked with his disciples. And now he comes to what we call the, the Passion Week. And he doesn't need to keep his messiahship a secret any longer. It can be affirmed and acclaimed by the world around him. And for this moment, he is recognized as the God of gods that he actually is. And these Pharisees are complaining about it. Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus' response is, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And it's such a comfort to me because you see here that under God's power, he could take dead, inanimate, still, rock-solid, unmoving stones and could transform them into a creation that is crying out in worship to the Christ who made them. So powerful is he as God. Oddly encouraging. How much more will he transform you and me into beings who worship the Prince of Peace as we were made to do? Isn't it a thrill to stop and think about this God who can even make stones cry out in worship? To stop and think about what he is going to do in the life of Ursula Flannery, raising her into one who worships the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and recognizes him as the Prince of Peace that he is, the greater than Solomon, and see that he does that not only in her life, but in the life of our covenant youth around us and in our own lives. If he could do it with stones, how much more can he do with us who he made in his very image? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would bring us 